0: If you do what you've always done, you will only get what you've always got.
1: Reticence to change has been the downfall of many a life and many a business. Small fleets and older operators aren't exempt, of course. If you recognize the voice up top, you're probably not alone among Overdrive Radio listeners who have taken motivation from it in the past. That was Kevin Rutherford, longtime radio host and a past contributor to Overdrive, who found his particular, singular talent for motivating and helping owner-operators in part through decades past appearances in our early Partners in Business seminars at the minute america Trucking Show. That all predated my time here at the magazine, that's for sure, and since, Rutherford's been a lot, radio host, fitness and wellness coach, owner operator business coach no doubt. But he started back in the 1980s like so many here. One man, one truck, and an ability to learn from mistakes made. I'm Todd Dills, and today on the Overdrive Radio Podcast, we'll drop into Rutherford's story. he told it several weeks back now to attendees of the great National Association of Small Trucking Companies annual conference here in Nashville as part of his keynote address following a variety of evening events, including our Small Fleet Champ final round. Rutherford's mission that particular evening? My plan
0: in the journey is how you not only survive the bottom of the freight market, but how you thrive and how you find the opportunities.
1: He echoed owner-operator Matthew Carr, whom regular readers will know is among this year's contenders for Overdrive's 2023 Trucker of the Year award. Among advice for owners considering getting into business with authority, he reckoned they would do well to approach it like he's been doing just this year, after a great year leased in 2022. He extends the same advice to drivers thinking of buying their first truck too, a kind of strike when the market's cold approach. As Carr put it, if you want to buy a truck and you want to get started as an owner-operator, do it when times are bad. Now, things have slowed down a bit, interest rates are going up. If you can make it in slow times, Really flourish when cycles turn upward. Here's how Rutherford put it:
0: "The best opportunities are always at the bottom. But you've got to be ready for them. You've got to be prepared."
1: So, on the other side of a break, we'll hear how the give-back example of small fleet champ and Butterfly Express owner Bill Barheit changed Kevin Rutherford's speech that night at Nastic. And Rutherford's simple-sounding yet plenty complicated and variable in the execution, no doubt. Rutherford's plan for positioning at the bottom to take advantage of opportunities to excel for long-term trucking at the top. Keep tuned.
0: Stop fuel from gelling this winter with Howe's Diesel Treat, North America's number one trusted anti-gel. Right now, you need Howe's Diesel Treat more than ever, not only to keep your gel free, but to fight the shortcomings of today's ULSD by adding vital lubricity, removing water, and preventing deposits. The only guaranteed anti-gel on the market, Diesel Treat also boosts fuel economy and improves performance. This winter, do yourself a favor and add Howe's Diesel Treat at every fill-up. Visit Howe'sProducts.com
1: for more information and that's H-O-W-E-S houseproducts.com Now, on to Rutherford from the Nastic stage again just after we recognized K&D Transport Wallace & Sons Transport l Trucking and most importantly for what you're about to hear owner Bill Barheight of Colorado headquartered Butterfly Express winner in our 3-10 truck category this year
0: Good evening you beautiful bunch of fuckers and welcome to my world. I promise I didn't just call you a bad name. We refer to our customers as our tribe. One of our tribe members came up with that. It's F-O-K-R, stands for Friends of Kevin Rutherford. I can't believe how blessed I am to have customers that, that think that way. They're not customers. They really are part of our family and part of our tribe. You know, I had an open all worked out, and I was out wandering around up front, trying to work it out in my head. I'm always nervous before I get up on stage. Believe it or not, my biggest fear in life is public speaking. I have no idea how I spend so much time on stage. While I was out there, no bar height, and his crew walked out, winner of the Small Fleet Award, and I shook his hand and congratulated him, and he said, probably don't remember me but i called your show a long time ago dave was saying I, I, 15 hours of radio a week for 15 or 16 years i've spent a lot of time talking to drivers and owner operators and he said i really bugged you a lot i had at the time he said i had one truck that i paid four thousand dollars for and i bugged you and i it's never a bother and then he said something that changed my whole open he said you taught me how to do this and I hear that a lot but it, it always has an impact and especially at a time like this uh, I'm glad that I was a small part of that and now Bill pays that forward by teaching his owner operators how to be better at business there's doesn't get any better than that that's how we improve this industry and I feel like I have a lot to this industry it's, it's really been my whole life third generation owner-operator. My grandfather was an owner-operator when the seat was a wooden bench and you measured a trip from the East Coast to the West Coast in weeks, not hours. There weren't any interstates, there weren't any truck stops. My grandfather was leased to a moving company. My father started driving a milk truck when he was 13. That's all he ever did in his life, but what I watched growing up was I watched my father struggle. He had a ninth grade education and he loved to work on things and he loved trucks. So he wanted to own trucks, just to own trucks, not to own a business. And he really struggled with the business side of it. What I watched growing up was I watched my father take a union driving job that he hated. He loved to drive. He hated all the rules. He, He just didn't like the environment and he would do it to pay the bills. And when he could save up enough money to go buy an old ragged truck, he would. And kind of like the how do you make a fortune in trucking, a small fortune, start with a big one. He would just run that truck till he ran out of money. And eventually, he'd go back and get a driving job again and do it all over. And I really kind of grew up thinking, I don't know if I want to be in that industry. So I thought I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. So I did join the army and I was a helicopter crew chief and I did get accepted to flight school. But My enlistment ran out before I got a date. It was a big waiting list. So I realized I don't like rules much. And uh, as much as I loved one tour in the military, that was enough. So I got out, but the problem was I had no plan for life. I was pretty broke and I thought, well, I, I might as well drive a truck. And while I've done a lot of things in the trucking industry, the one thing I've never been was a company driver. I managed to somehow get an $8,000 truck even though I was broke and I got started that way. So like I said, I I had an open and I'm calling an audible here. I changed it on the fly. One of the things you're gonna notice in my keynote tonight, two themes, gratitude and service to others. And with that in mind, I wanna say, David Owen, and the team here at Nastic, they've been fantastic to work with, and they've made everything easy. And I can tell you, they know how to serve their customers. David talked about our, our parallel paths, and it's, it's pretty incredible. We've had our head down all these years working and doing our thing. We did a lot of the same things. We have a lot of the same ideas. We have a slightly different audience. My sweet spot is really that one truck owner operator. I just love those guys. It's where I wanna spend my time. It's where I always spend my time. Now, a lot of those guys over the years have grown. Bill's a great example of that. And uh, I love that. David worked with a slightly larger group, still small trucking. There was a lot of crossover there, but it's interesting that we stayed in our lane. And then just recently, David reached out to me when we started talking, we haven't stopped since. And I hope we don't. I think a lot of good things are going to come out of this. So I'm really grateful for that little story. David said, uh I, I did warn him. I said, I'm really not a keynote speaker. I was telling him that it came up because I, I did get an invitation to speak. It was the wrong crowd. I really didn't even know why they they were inviting me. It was an insurance group and weren't going to be any owner operators in the room. And uh Well, I found out later, the reason they invited me, the guy who was in charge of speakers listened to my show and he loved my show and he said, "'Just get up and say whatever you want, it'll be fine.'" Okay, so I told David, I said, "'You know, I I really didn't want to do it, it wasn't my crowd.'" I said, "'So instead of just saying no,' I just gave him a big price. If they pay it, I'll show up and I'll uh, provide value, and if they don't, it's no big deal.'" And David said, just kind of nonchalantly, he said, so what's a big price? And I told him, and I thought, there's probably a reason he asked that. and There was. Later on in another conversation, he said, so if I offered you X, you'll be our keynote speaker, right? And I said, David, I really don't like to do keynotes. And he said something along the lines of, you're the right guy for this. And I said, all right, I'll do it. So now you're stuck with me. Now I can tell you this, you are in for a fantastic keynote speech. It might not be mine though. There is another keynote speaker. What I want to do today, I'll walk you through a little journey. Journeys sound like fun, don't they? You know what's just like a journey? Doesn't sound nearly as much fun though, sounds like a lot of work. Goals. Kind of just like a journey. So both goals and journey have something in common. You need three things. For a journey or a goal, you need an origin and a destination. Origin and destination. Kind of sounds familiar. Isn't that what we do? As a truck driver, when you pick something up, you have an origin, you have a destination, and it's your job to create a set of directions on how to get there. I've said forever, truck drivers and owner operators should be masters at setting goals. It's the same process. They use it every day. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my journey in the trucking industry and what I've learned, and then I'm going to do what I'm better at, I think, than than keynotes. I'm going to do a little bit of teaching. That's what I really do. I want to teach what I've learned about small business, specifically owner-operators, but really these principles apply to every business. So with that in mind, the plan that I'm going to give you is a plan to survive what we're about to go through. You know, I said I changed my open, my original open, I was going to spend a little bit of time talking about what a mess our country is right now, what a mess things are geopolitically. We know we're having a tough time in the industry, and I thought, you know what, I don't need to spend any time on that. We all know that. We can't control it. I really like to focus on the things we can control. So... My plan in the journey is how you not only survive the bottom of the freight market, but how you thrive and how you find the opportunities. I've been through about three of these pretty good downturns and a couple small ones. And I realized that the best opportunities are always at the bottom, but you've got to be ready for them. You've got to be prepared. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We already know that a lot of owner-operators, small brokers, and a lot of others in the trucking industry are gonna lose their business, it's already happening. They're gonna go bankrupt and it has to happen. It's just part of the cycle. We know there's too much supply. I wanna make sure that the people who want to survive have what they need. Now, a lot of people believe that just work hard enough and this will it'll work out. Unfortunately, that's not even close to being true. It's a given you've got to work hard in business. It's why most probably shouldn't be in business because they're not willing to work that hard and sacrifice that much, and that's fine. But when you do the hard work, then working hard will pay off. Now you're probably wondering, what is the hard work? I'll give you a clue. It's usually the one thing you don't want to do. It's usually the thing we know we should be doing, but we put off. Here's an example. I don't know if this number is gonna shock anybody in the audience or not. When I look at one truck owner operators, and I've been speaking to them from the stage since about 1999, And at that very first seminar I did, I asked a question. I said, how many of you that own a truck in this room right now could tell me what your profit and loss statement looks like right now without opening it up and without looking at it? And my thought was, I just wanted to know if they really knew their numbers without looking at their numbers, but I was shocked because with a couple more questions, what I found out was over 90% of that room did not have numbers their accounting system was throw their receipts in a walmart bag and take it to their accountant at the end of the year to get a tax return done and i was shocked how do you run a business like that so i realized then we had a lot of work to do for those owner operators sometimes the hard work is just taking the time to get those numbers together so um I have a book recommendation I'm a big reader I read about two books a week and I have for most of my life and I still keep that pace up today so I've got a book recommendation you know I got a question for you Dave you're you're a golf pro have you ever seen the movie The Legend of Bagger Vance so the man who wrote that screenplay also wrote one of my favorite books ever And I would have never read this book except somebody else recommended it. The first best-selling author I ever had on my show was Larry Winget. What what an amazing guy, very colorful. Um, Larry was on my show and we became good friends. Uh, We've done some programs together over the years. But on that first show, uh, when Larry was all done, when the interview was just about over, I said, Larry, I know you're a big reader. I said, what should I be reading right now? And he said, you should be reading the War of Art. And I said, I read that. The military man. And he said, no, listen closely. You should be reading The War of Art. And I said, what? That's backwards. The book's called The Art of War. And he said, no, look it up. And I, I went to get the book, and the book was about writing. I thought, why would Larry recommend this to me? I'm not writing anything. But I read it. And, and that's where this concept of the hard work comes from. And it was, uh, it was just an incredible book for me. It really changed my life. I highly recommend that. Before I get started on our plan, how many of you in the room owned trucks prior to 2010? Oh boy, not many. Okay, here's why I say that. If you didn't own a truck prior to 2010, you really don't know what's coming. We haven't had a significant downturn in trucking since the 07, 08. We started to climb out of that pretty well in 10 and 11, and it's been pretty smooth sailing ever since. Just in the last couple of years, we were setting records. I had owner-operators making more money than I had ever seen, more money than I had ever dreamed they would make. And I started saying in about 2017, after I attended an event and listened to an analyst speak, Noel Perry, who's also become a good friend of mine. And he said, it's coming. We're gonna have a downturn. We know we will, it always happens. He said he thought it was probably gonna be deeper than the last, and that was logical. But the only thing he got wrong was the timing. He thought it was probably gonna happen around the end of 2019, 2020, but we know the world changed. And because of that, we got another couple of really good years in trucking. I'm a real optimist, but we also have to face reality that that party's over. And the hangover's here for a lot of people. I wanna make sure you don't feel that pain. So, Where did my journey start? Like I told you, I I had a plan, wanted to be a pilot, it didn't work out, ended up buying a truck. But before I did, and I grew up around trucking, I could drive a truck. Um, There was a local truck driving school, two week program. I didn't have any money, but the VA paid for it for me. So I went to it. Here's how bad things were, you know, what I was thinking. I was living in my brother's basement, small family at the time and I had to borrow a car because mine was broke down to get back and forth to the truck driving school and the car I borrowed had a leak in the gas tank now it wouldn't have been that hard for me to fix it but for some reason I didn't and I knew it was costing me more money and on the last day the leak got worse all leaks do they never get better and I came out at the end. The class is over I actually have a driving interview Set up already. And I walked out and I got in the car and turned on the key and the gauge was just about dead empty. And I thought, I certainly can't make it to the interview. I hope I can make it to the gas station. I didn't have any money. I had to go back in and borrow $10 from the owner of the truck driving school to get to the interview. And it worked out. It was my first... A driving job, but I had to rent their truck until I could figure out how to buy one. I was running local, which is an awesome introduction to trucking you do 30 to 35 stops a day. Learn an awful lot about how to drive a truck and how to back up in traffic. And um, I had a great time doing that. that uh, That was a rough start. I would not recommend starting a business in those conditions. It's a long way out of that hole. So, the next big lesson for me in trucking was I thought I hit the lottery. I thought I had the magic beans and the golden goose. Because what I was doing, I bought that first truck, totally broke. Before a year was up, I bought a second truck. Somebody actually gave me some money and let me buy a second truck and I put a driver in it. And at first I thought, well, that really worked. Now I've got more money. Why don't I just do it again? So I did. Went and bought another truck and they let me. And I looked at my wallet, because that was about the only thing I was judging things on it. I said, "Boy, well, seems like I even have more money now. Let's just keep doing this. So I did. And then I combined my trucks with my brothers. And I think we had about 15 trucks. We were running a small brokerage. I put together a service truck because we had our trucks scattered all over the place doing all kinds of goofy stuff. So I put together a service truck that could do the washes and the oil changes. And then I started realizing I'm having a hard time covering the bills in the business. Where'd all that money go? And at home, I was living on credit cards to try to pay the bills. And I thought, something happened to this plan, it's not working very well. It got to the point I was about $60,000 in debt, hadn't paid my taxes in a couple years, didn't even know how much that was gonna be. And I thought, well, something's gotta change. And really, at that point, I thought, I'm not sure what to do. I actually consulted with a bankruptcy attorney. And being a bankruptcy attorney, of course, he told me, well, yes, you need to file bankruptcy. That's exactly what it's for. You need a fresh start. And I said, but, but what happens to that money that I owe everybody? And he said, well, they won't get it. They'll just write it off. I said, well, something doesn't sound right about that. I said, isn't there a way we can do that that I can pay them back? And he said, no, you should just file bankruptcy. Just start over. I went home and I thought about it. I thought, there's got to be another way to do this. I just couldn't stand the fact that I just was gonna walk away from that and not pay those people back. So I started reading more business books. I had said I read two books a week, but up until that point in my life, most of those books were just novels. I started reading some business books and they talked about numbers. And I had a computer at the time, and this is late 80s, and I taught myself how to write spreadsheets. And I wrote these spreadsheets and I, put all the numbers from my operation into those spreadsheets and I looked at it and I said, well, no wonder why I'm going broke. I was spending more money than I was making. You can't run a business like that. You know, I I know that old saying, we're losing a little money on every sale, but we'll make it up in volume. That's kind of what I was trying to do. The math doesn't work. Then I went one step further. I took each individual truck And I broke out all the receipts and the revenue and I calculated a profit loss statement for each individual truck And that's where I found the solution At that point we had already dropped down to 11 trucks by necessity and I looked at those 11 trucks and I said nine of these are losing money And two are profitable I can make this work I can sell the nine, not gonna get a whole lot out of them, but I at least get rid of the expenses and I can run these two trucks. And I went back to driving myself and I went back, to, I, I took the job that I, I had a local overnight run. So I could run overnight and I went back to school during the day. I became a certified financial planner to learn numbers and business and money. And I was able to, with those two trucks and I added another one not long after, once I knew how to do it right. And I was able, it took me about four years, but I paid off every penny of that debt. And it was the best lesson I've ever had. That is what taught me how to teach all the things I've been teaching over the years. So sometimes those worst moments turn out to be our best. Those spreadsheets, by the way, turned into an accounting program that is really designed for one truck, one owner. And that's probably the way it will always be. And it's, uh, it's something I'm proud of.
1: That's Rutherford's Profit Gages program, housed on his Let'sTruck.com site today.
0: The other thing I learned throughout that process, like I said, I was driving at night, was going to school in the day, um, had another truck and a driver to take care of. And I learned about audio books. And back then, there were actually these audio programs on tape, like seminars on tape, These things were like three and four hundred dollars. I think I haven't paid a thousand dollars for one of those programs once, but it was all I did. Every minute I was in that truck, I was listening and learning. I've been saying for years, truck drivers and owner operators should be the most well-informed, knowledgeable people in our industry. They should have a PhD in something and they could do it for next to nothing. Who else has that ability, 60 hours a week, for them to listen and learn. What a great thing. That was probably the the best lesson I ever learned. Now, one of the things I like to talk about, I may mention this several times throughout this plan. This is a bonus, by the way. I am about to give you the secret to success in every business, any business. And here it is, it's really, really simple. By the way, I'm not sure why we call this a secret. I went to Amazon once and I I looked up books with secret to success. There's like 18,000, not much of a secret, but I read a lot of those books and I never really read this one thing. I, I honestly don't remember where I learned this. I'm sure I didn't make it up myself. The secret to success in any business is so simple. You simply serve your customer better than anybody else can. That's all there is to it. Now, figuring out how to do that might be a little more difficult, but that's all it is. You serve your customer better than anybody else can. Here's one of the things that makes me crazy about my world in the industry, the the one truck guys, the small fleets. I am shocked, and I tell them all the time, you don't use the word customer. I mean, I don't think we use it enough in this business. We just don't use the word customer enough. I actually had, I I spend a lot of time on social media, unfortunately. And I had somebody arguing with me about something, which is about what happens on social media most of the time. And I said to them, you have to serve your customer. And in this case, The particular case I was talking about, the customer was a freight broker. And and I I tell people all the time, if you're confused about who your customer is, and we seem to be sometimes in this industry, it's really simple. Whose check did you cash? That's it. Who paid you? They are your customer. And he said, those damn brokers are not my customer. what who did you cash their check i did but they're not my customer and i said no oh, really who is that and honestly he didn't have an answer and then he then he said well well the shipper and the receiver I, I said well you've got a problem you don't have a relationship with any of those guys they don't pay you they paid that broker the broker serves them you serve the broker that's who pays you i, I I love this industry, but there are some things about it that make me a little crazy, and this is one of them. I don't know of any other industry that calls their customers
1: assholes.
0: (laughs) But we seem to have no problem doing that in this industry. I hear it all the time. It just makes me a little crazy. Uh, David, I love what you've done with that broker program. It's an idea I've had for years. You and I have talked about it. You've been doing it all this time. It's fantastic.
1: Kevin Rutherford's making reference there to David Owen and Nastic's Best Brokers Group, which has been the association's way of highlighting the honest among brokerages with a vetted group for the Nastic membership. Owen earlier that day detailed some work put into a load board-like system called LOADSTAR. That's L-O-D-E-S-T-A-R. It's an acronym that stands for Load Operations Data Exchange Shipper Terms and Rates. He aimed to turn the best broker's directory into a database and website for load opportunities for members. Also hoping within that to standardize items like detention pay for brokered load. Likewise, fuel surcharges as a line item. Fairly uncommon in spot broker freight today, of course.
0: All right, before we get started on the plan, one of the things you have to have, and I'm not so sure how to teach this. I wish I was better at teaching this. But it really comes down to just mindset and attitude. And that attitude that I just had to deal with. That broker's not my customer. I don't know how you survive in business if that's how you think. But it gets worse. I was talking to somebody else on social media. And I was talking about cutting costs. It's really where I focus most of my time when I train owner operators and small fleets, cutting cost. We have way more opportunity and control over our cost than we do our rates. You know, I tell people, this isn't any kind of scientific number, but I tell people all the time, about 90% of that rate, I just made that number up by the way, about 90% of that rate is just supply and demand. I mean, that's just how this works. And it's supply and demand in whatever lane you happen to be in at the moment. The other 10% is a combination of your ability to understand those rates and length, negotiate a better deal. But more importantly, it's about how well you serve that customer. So if your attitude is I don't have a customer, I don't think about a customer, you've already lost 10% right off the top. We were talking about cutting costs and This person actually looked at me, I'm not speechless very often, but I I was kind of speechless after he said this. He said, why the hell should I have to work hard to cut costs? The rate should just cover it. How do you even respond to that? I don't know how. That's just insane to me. Here's what I started thinking, and I realized that I see this attitude a lot now not just in trucking, but I see it a lot in the owner-operator world, and here's what it is. They really believe, some of them, clearly we've got a lot of great owner-operators, that because they started a business, they're entitled to a profit. What a crazy way to think. So when I talk about mindset, I just want to ask a couple questions. Do you ever anybody in business? Did you ever think that you deserved a profit just because you got up that day? I hope not. Here's another one that makes me crazy. When they say the rate should cover it, the next thing that'll come out of their mind or their mouth will be, well, I won't pull freight for under X, some random number that they just pulled out of nowhere. I don't even know where they come up with these numbers. Well, the rate needs to be that. Well, how do you think that's gonna happen? You have almost zero control over that, but they spend so much time focused on it. Another attitude I've seen a lot lately. Well, the brokers are controlling the rates. I don't know how to deal with that either. But there's a big belief. I actually had somebody accuse me of working with them to control the rates. My God, what a compliment. I wish I was that smart. And then the final one in this mindset is that every thing about their operation that was going wrong was somebody else's fault. And I don't care if it is somebody else's fault. Look in the mirror and take responsibility anyway because then you can change something. But if you believe that your problems are somebody else's fault, you just lost all control. The only attitude I've ever been able to adopt that that seems to work well for me and seems to work well for others is this. I will do whatever it takes to succeed. Now, I don't mean cheating people. I don't mean being corrupt. I don't mean neglecting my family. But within reason, I will do whatever it takes to succeed. And how long will I do it until it works? I also realized that when you're struggling or when you're trying to build things, you should stay away from I won't and I don't statements. And I hear this all the time in the trucking world from the owner operators. I don't go to New York city. I don't pull that. I won't pull freight for less than X again. I don't even know where they come up with the number. At some point in your business, if you're successful, you can do those kind of things. You can then get a little do. but in the beginning, I think you should avoid those kind of statements. Um, The idea of, well, I'm not going to pull cheap freight. First off, every time I ask somebody the question, can you define cheap freight for me? They have all kinds of answers, none of them ever make any sense. We actually have an organization in this industry that promotes that idea. They was a slogan, say no to cheap freight. What a horrible mindset. It just doesn't make sense to me. I, I was willing, in fact, I, I wouldn't be here right now today if I wasn't willing to work for free. How much cheaper does it get? I knew if I wanted to reach people and help people, I needed to get up on a stage and do this as much as I didn't wanna do it. And the first seminar I did, not only did I do it for free, I paid my way to get to the Louisville Truck Show to do that seminar. And then eventually, that, that same seminar, by the way, that was started in 1999 by Overdrive Magazine, Partners in Business. I was there the first year. Uh, I still do that one once in a while. Still around. It's a great program. After a while, I got paid pretty well to do that. But that happened because I was willing, I I had to go up and do it for free. Nobody was gonna pay me. I didn't have any credibility. Nobody knew who I was. I knew I had a message and I was willing to take a chance. So let's talk about the plan. Since I changed my open and and I'm known to get wordy sometimes. So we're only gonna be here for another two or three hours or so, it'll be all right. I I was going to do something with this crowd that I do at my events, and and I'm gonna skip it. But I'll tell you what it is. And boy, did I catch hell the first couple times I did this. And I just stood up on stage and said, I don't care. Do it, don't do it. Doesn't matter to me. I actually walked up on stage and I said, all right, before we get started this morning, Larry Winget was with me at the time, by the way, the the best-selling author. and uh, Larry was getting ready to come up on stage to do some things with me. And I said, before we start, we're gonna meditate. And Larry looked at me and he said, what did you just say? And I said, we're gonna meditate. And he said, you're gonna get a bunch of truck drivers to meditate, are you kidding me? So we did, look, if I came up here and I said, am gonna clear our mind and focus, nobody would think any big deal, but that's all that meditation is. So the plan itself, You know, we can make business really, really simple. In business, you should have money coming in and you have money going out. And all we really need to do is make sure there's more coming in than going out. It's really that simple. It's in the execution that it can get a little more complicated. So here's the outline of the plan. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about each step. So, step number one, it's that mindset I'm talking about. If you find yourself falling into any of those traps like that and, and your attitude kind of sucks, you got to work on that mindset. It really does control the rest of everything you're going to do. The second one I'm going to say, I know I'm going to, people are going to groan. Nobody wants to hear this. Um, I've got a big history of this with my show now you've got to get healthy. I I am a big believer in in living healthy, so much so that I went back to school again about eight years ago and became a uh, functional nutritional therapy practitioner. Is that a mouthful or what? And I did it because my tribe came to me and said, you help us with our money, you help us with our business, and we're really sick. And, And truck drivers are, it is a, horrible profession for your health. Everything about it, the hours, the food, or lack of food, the the vibration all day long, the diesel fumes, the diesel fuel, sitting all day long. So I said, look, I I get it. I know you need help with that, but I, I don't do health. I do business and I do numbers. And some of them knew my story, because I, I tell my story on the air all the time. And they said, but, but you owned a gym once, and you coached high school wrestling, and, and you got to be able to help us. And I said, yeah, but I don't really know what I'm talking about. And I had an employee who kind of took it up, and, and she just kept bugging me. And she said, you got to do this. And I said, well, no, I don't really have to. But if you feel that strong about it, why don't you do it? don't you start a podcast I'll help you get it started but why don't you do it and she did and she proved to me that it really was needed and our tribe really wanted it and she did that podcast for about a year and then we started doing it together and then it became a day of my show Wednesdays are destination health day on our show they have been for about eight years now and the success stories are just incredible I've got driver. it is not unusual, you will hear it almost every week, at least once or twice, a truck driver who lost 100 pounds or more, got off multiple prescriptions, was in danger of losing their medical card and had to go back every three months for a physical, and we now have them healthy and and back to a two-year medical card. It really is one of the most gratifying things I do. What finally convinced me was when my employee said, if they don't have their health, why would any of this other stuff that you help them with matter? And I said, you're absolutely right. A healthy human being has thousands of wishes. An unhealthy human being only has one. Step number three, build a winning team. Step number four, talked about a little bit already, know your numbers. Step number five, develop that customer-driven mentality. And it just doesn't exist much down at the bottom of our industry. It's just not talked about a whole lot. And I'm gonna keep pushing it. Number six, kind of like preaching to the choir for the people here, network more. Seven, this is a big one for me. Never stop learning. I've got another book recommendation. How many of you have read the book? It's a classic. I think I read it 30 years ago. I read it again when the 25th anniversary of the book came out. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How many people have read that book? Wow. You got to read it. Um, I actually have two book recommendations. I'm going to do them right now. The other, I will tell you this, if you're not a reader, that's a tough book. That's not one of the easier books to get through, but I would encourage you to just work on it. It's a book I still go back to. I still use those processes all the time. The other one is the exact opposite. It's a really quick, easy read. It's almost a cartoon. It's a parable. Anybody ever read the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Yeah, I love that book. What a great lesson and I'll tell you what, that book has become so much more important because the book, there's cartoon characters in it, there's a couple little mice and there's some people and one day somebody moves their cheese. And for some of them, it just throws their whole world off. And the the parable is about being able to adapt to change. And I know a lot of people struggle, I thrive on change. I'm glad that I do. If things don't change, I'll probably change them. But a lot of people don't deal with change well, and unfortunately, the only thing that's changing about changing is it's coming faster and faster all the time. And, and it, I, I don't know how we're ever gonna slow that down, so you better figure out how to adapt to it, and that's a wonderful book for that. Seven was never stop learning, and I brought up the, the seven habits. It's actually why I put that number seven to remind me. The seventh habit in that book is called sharpen the saw. There's a quote that says, if you give me four hours to cut down a tree, I'll spend the first three sharpening my ax. I love that quote. That's what sharpening the saw is all about, except in this context, you're the ax. It's sharpening you. That is constant and never ending learning. There's a phrase, can I, C-A-N-I, constant and never-ending improvement. Number eight, give back. And I loved the example of that from Bill and his crew. He learned something from me, he taught it to somebody else. That's how we make this industry better from the bottom up. Now let's talk about these in, in just a little more detail. And then I want to tell you one of my favorite stories to end tonight. Number one, make gratitude a habit. If you want to improve your attitude and your mindset, make gratitude a habit. And here's one of the ways. I I could teach an entire seminar on habits. They're powerful things. We all have them. We're not very good at creating habits that serve us well. One of the things you need for a habit is a trigger so you remember to do it until it becomes a habit so for gratitude i came up with a a trigger when i'm in bed at night i think of three things that i'm really grateful for it's a great way to fall asleep and then when i wake up in the morning i do it again Before I get out of bed and start the day, I think of three things that I'm really grateful for. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you use the same three things every time. It's not the things. It's the gratitude. It's a really great way to start and end the day, and it's a great habit to develop. Get healthy. I I do lots and lots of, of talks and seminars on this. I could talk for weeks. About this I'm not going to tonight um, but I will say it is really important for drivers or really anybody but I, I, I'm going to be doing this for drivers I will be launching a, uh, a group health coaching uh, in the next couple of weeks and it will just be an ongoing program for me for now on we're, we're kind of in the middle of a little bit of a revamp on our business and I'm doing it this time so that I start spending all of my time doing what I love to do. And it's not running the company. My wife does that. I have a business partner. This is what I love to do. I, I love to talk to people and help people. And I like to spend time with owner-operators. And I will be spending almost all of my time doing that going forward. I'll be launching a group health coaching. And I'll be launching a group uh business and money coaching program as well, shortly after that. So there's lots of resources out there to get healthy. It is important, it's really important for our drivers. Develop a winning team. I have a list of, of people that I, I always want on my team, whether it's a business, a project, whatever it might be. First off, if we're gonna run a business, we've gotta have a customer. We've talked about customers. Talk about customers a lot until I start hearing it being talked about more on this end of the industry. Figure out who you want your customer to be. Many times that that's the first step they miss. They buy a truck and then they just do whatever, whatever pops. Up. And it's not that hard. You can go lease it to all kinds of people. You can go get on a load board and get a load, but they don't have a plan to say maybe that's why they don't see these people as customers and and they don't appreciate them as customers. They never really chose them.
1: This is one
0: of the few businesses I know in my world with, with single truck owner operators that you really don't have to do any kind of sales or marketing whatsoever. Every other, I've started a lot of businesses in my time and one of the biggest challenges, how do you get people to pay you? That's not that difficult in this world. You buy a truck and there's a load somewhere, somebody's willing to pay you. You just log on, say, I'll take that load. That seems easy, but I, I think that's a bad thing because I think that's how we got to this place where we don't think about the customer. The just there, I'll just go grab some and somebody will pay me. But I try to get people to choose their customers. Choose, do you want to be leased to a carrier? I had trucks leased to a carrier for a long, long time. I did really well like that, and then sold the contract for quite a profit when I left. I've heard this phrase over and over, "Ah, if you're leased to a carrier, you're not a real owner operator. I don't even know what that means. Of course you are. And if that's your choice, it's a good one. If you want to have your own authority, your customers could be direct shippers. It's a tough way to go, but I've seen people do it and I've seen people be really successful at it. Your other customers are going to be brokers and that may be your only customer. I've got some thoughts on that. And again, David's been doing this. I've been telling people forever, here's how I came across this one. I've done thousands of tax returns for owner operators. It's one of the ways I really learned the ins and outs of all the numbers in all kinds of different operations. I worked with those numbers every day. I got a tax return once and there was like 142 1099s. And I thought, what is that? That was how many brokers that one truck owner operator had worked with in a single year. I I couldn't even figure out how that was possible. What a horrible idea. I can't even imagine all the work, the onboarding, the trying to figure out somebody's system, no communications, no relationship whatsoever. And this is one of the guys that was always complaining to me that he couldn't make any money. And the brokers were screwing him. And I came up with a, a, you know, a strategy. And I, and I teach owner-operators, find yourself three to five, it, the number might be a little different, but three to five good brokers And you should be able to get about 90 or 95 percent of your freight from those three to five businesses your customers and then use a load board to fill in the other stuff it's a great strategy it works well so a couple other relationships you should build customers are important Um, you should have a good accountant a good tax preparer a good financial planner when i did that full-time i was all three I, i would do their accounting i would do their tax return i could help them with financial planning find somebody you need that help you really do it gets more and more complicated every year focus on what you do best which is driving the truck and moving freight and serving your customers let somebody else do your numbers for you but make sure You have that relationship and you know your numbers. Another really important relationship that I've been talking about for years is a relationship with a good shop. When you own one truck and that truck goes down, your business is on the sidelines. The repairs are outrageously expensive now. It's gotten a lot worse in the last couple of years and you can't afford the downtime. And I get calls on my show constantly about maintenance. It's a big issue. Tuesdays, I said, Wednesdays are destination health. Tuesdays, we call the power hour. Actually, my co-host, the whole team of them, there's a a dozen of us on that show sometimes, I think. Um, They're here in the room, Pittsburgh Power. Stop in and talk to them. Best diesel shop in the country. The only shop I know of that only works with owner-operators and and always has. That is their sweet spot, it always has been. They've been doing it for about 100 years, I think. You've gotta have a good shop. People call me all the time and they tell me, I had my truck in and as soon as I got it out, the check engine light came on and I went back and they fixed something else and I went back and I I say, stop, but but who do you deal with at this dealer? Well, I don't know, just, you know, I just, there's the problem right there you've got to have a relationship. And then then the pushback I get is, well, I'm all over the country. What do we, I know you're someplace. Most of the time home, somewhere along your route, wherever it is, build that relationship and give them the majority of your business. They will become your best asset and resource. And I will tell you, if you work with them, and you actually are partners with them, and you ask them how to maintain your truck better, they will get you to the point where you will almost never have to use anybody else. You should not be breaking down all that often on the road that you just have to go to some random shop. If you maintain the truck well, that really doesn't happen, and you will be able to get most of your work done where you have a relationship. That doesn't mean things aren't going to go wrong. They will. When things go wrong and you have a relationship, there's a way to fix it. You've got to know your numbers. It's number four. I talked about it. It's what saved me from bankruptcy. It's what I focus on more than anything in business. You've got to know the numbers first. The good news is as a single truck owner operator, it shouldn't take you long to know those numbers inside and out without looking at anything. When I ran trucks, Three trucks there at the end. I wasn't driving. You could have woken me up at 2 o'clock in the morning and asked me any question about my profit loss, and I would have been able to answer it. I talked earlier about the secret to success in business. Who's your customer? Identify your customer and serve that customer well. Mm -hmm. Six, let's network more. I love events like this. David, you've done an awesome job. There aren't that many events in the trucking industry for this crowd. There just isn't. When when I decided I needed to learn more about being an owner-operator, I thought I would just go out and find some events and some programs. They didn't exist. There was nothing as far as helping owner-operators. And I committed to create it. I've created, I've, I've written a book, I have some online courses. I had a program for about, let's see, I started it in 2005. I was kind of like David. I rented a little hotel room and at one point, I had five people in my class and I was one of them. And then at the end of that program, we did our last event, 2018, and it had become too successful. It it became a, a monster and we're a small company. We just couldn't handle it. Five full days. For 400 people. And we went long day. It was, a, it was a, a, a great program. We need more of that in the industry. We really do. Now, I wanna I wanna echo what somebody else set up here earlier. And it was get involved in your state trucking association.
1: And that happened to be me, quoting 11 to 30 truck, small fleet champ, and LNL trucking owner Larry Limp who served in 2022 as chairman of the Indiana State Association. As Larry put it, when it comes to policy and regulation, quote, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu.
0: And a lot of single truck guys just think, well, why would they want me there? Well, of course they want you there. And you should be there. I've spoken at a lot of state associations. I, I will tell you, some of them are, they're okay. Some of them are really fantastic but it's worth your time to get involved. I was involved in the Florida State Trucking Association. I ran my trucks out of Orlando. And I also, uh, one of the ways I was able to overcome my fear of getting up here on the stage, um, I applied for and and won a spot on Florida's road team. It's a lot like the ATA's road team, but it was run by the Florida Trucking Association. So my job when I was on the team for two years was to go speak to people outside of the trucking industry. To, you know, kind of tell everybody else what we do. And and uh, it was an image thing, and I had a lot of fun and I met a lot of people and I kind of got over my fear of standing up here on stage. So network more, attend more events, join your trucking associations and other associations in the industry. The other way. I've got mixed feelings about this one, I have been on social media since the late 80s. When I tell people that they're like, "Ah, social media didn't exist in the late 80s, absolutely did. There were bulletin boards, there were chat rooms, there, there was a service called Prodigy and CompuServe. I was on those early. I have spent a lot of time on social media and like I said, I have mixed feelings about it. It's gotten worse over the years in some ways. But something recently happened and and I'm a little more encouraged about it. I went back to Twitter. I had been off Twitter for years, but social media is a big tool for me. It helps me reach a lot of people and teach. So I had been off Twitter. Um, We ended up off Facebook because David said, I'm pretty outspoken. I say what I think, and I believe what I say, and I was being deleted and censored just about everywhere. YouTube would take down our videos, Facebook would censor our posts. So I quit all of those and wasn't, we actually went and created our own social media site. We call it our tribe so that we could get away from all that. So I could say whatever I wanted to say and not worry about being censored. I went back to Twitter for one reason. Elon Musk bought it and said, I'm gonna make free speech free again. And I don't know if he'll pull it off or not, but he's done a fairly good job so far. We've got a community now, we, we kind of refer to it on Twitter as X twitter's not twitter anymore now it's x i I don't know if anybody's ever going to get used to saying that or not so we call it freight x and it's a it's a really robust freight community that's actually growing we have a little bit of fun and we share a lot of ideas and it's made up of people from all walks of this industry you might want to check it out and again we do have our our own social media site as well seven never stop learning And this should be the easiest one of all of these steps. You have 60 hours a week if you still drive that truck to listen and learn. And when I used to have to pay $1,000 for a program on cassette, there is so much available now that you can learn from that doesn't cost you a penny. There is so much information out there. Take advantage of all that windshield time you've got and learn. I gave you my books already. So, step number eight give back. This was a lesson that I, I, I learned in basic training. I learned that the best way to learn something was to teach it. What well, sounds kind of goofy, if you haven't learned it yet, how are you going to teach it? Well, you don't need a whole lot. The, the lesson I learned in basic training, they try to teach you an awful lot of new stuff in a very short period of time. There's all kinds of weird military stuff and there's things you have to learn how to do. And we had all these things and it was kind of overwhelming. And, and one of them that just wasn't, it, it, it seems simple, but we had so much going on. Um, we had to learn CPR. It just wasn't clicking with me. And one day they just said, you're gonna have to work at this station here where they're going to do their cpr thing so i was kind of there teaching it and that's all it took by the end of that day i had it i'm like well that was easy and i realized that all i have to do is teach something and it, you learn it so well that was my first way to of start to give back i wanted to teach say it i read all the time I pick up all these great ideas, and immediately when I learn something, I want to go teach it to somebody else. And that way I know I'll really know it. There's so many ways in this industry we can give back. One of the things that I learned about giving back, I went through a a really intensive uh, mentor program with Anthony Robbins. Anybody know Anthony Robbins? He's that big guy that used to be on your TV about two o'clock in the morning selling cassette tapes. He might be one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. The guy's a giant too. He's like seven feet tall or something. He's got some thyroid condition. Um, I went through a really intensive program with him. It cost me $25,000. I didn't have $25,000. I borrowed it. It was over two years. It was like... 26 days of seminars over two years in all kinds of crazy places. I learned a lot. Um, The finale was 11 days on the Big Island of Hawaii. I didn't get to see much of the Big Island. We got up at six in the morning for breakfast at seven and there was one night we were still outside at two o'clock in the morning. That's how intensive this was. And you know what we were doing at two o'clock in the morning? I did a 45-foot fire walk. So did about a thousand other people. I still can't explain it to this day. I have no idea how this works. There is a line of 45 feet long of deep, glowing, red-hot coals, and you walk across. I have no idea how it works. I didn't feel anything. I had no burns on my feet. I don't get it. Another part of that seminar was, and I paid a lot of money to be there. One of our days, we had to go volunteer for the entire day. They had set up four or five different volunteer operations, and you you didn't have to, and a lot of people chose not to. I chose to go do it. And what I learned and what, what Anthony taught then was, when you give back, you should give away the thing you have the least of. He said, if you've got a lot of money and you're donating money, it's a nice thing. It really doesn't do all that much, not for you anyway. That was kind of where I was at the time. Money wasn't as big of a deal for me, even though I borrowed the money to be there. What I really felt like I didn't have enough of was time. So then what I was supposed to do is donate time. And it turned out to be a great experience. I had three boys, they were all teenagers. And for several years, we woke up twice a week at about five in the morning, they had school usually, and we went and picked up food that grocery stores were donating and we took it to a food bank. And the kids really, really learned a lot from that. I did too, but it it was hard to give away the thing I felt like I had the least of. But what it does, I think it does something in your brain. I think what happens is your brain says, if you've got enough of this to give away, you've got enough. And I never felt like I really never had enough time after that. Even though my schedule is just as busy, I didn't feel like I was, it just wasn't that big of a deal. I had enough time that I could give some away.
1: As was noted up top, it's that giving back that shines through among our Small Fleet Champ winners and finalists, perhaps even above all their business success. Kudos to all who've made a home for the next generation of trucking leaders. As Rutherford notes, many of them are behind the wheel today and tomorrow? Well, time will tell. Here's a happy Thanksgiving this week to all of you. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with the acoustic guitar and other support of trucker songwriter Long Haul Paul Marhofer. The theme is Legend of the Snake Man by Marhofer, featuring the guitar work of Travis the Snake Man himself, Wemmick, Terry Tusas Richardson on bass, keys by Tisha Mingo, Jim Whitehead, and on drums, Andrew Marshall. The podcast is backed up further by Overdrive's own news editor Matt Cole, executive editor Alex Locke, and video editors Lawson Rudison and Angel Gwynn.